Hey, it's Beth here. Episode two, no, 417. Okay, so um, the New York Times was amazing today. Absolutely at the best because um, I wanted to be a ballerina when I was a little girl. And um, it was the only thing I ever wanted. And my mother sent my father with me on my first ballet class. And it was mid-season for the girls in the class, so they all had their outfits on and their tutus, and they were all dancing around, and I was on the side. And the, the instructor didn't even come over. And we stood there, my dad and I, for like five minutes. And finally he said to me, do you want to leave? And I said, yes, and I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay, I wanted to be a ballerina. We walked out the door and never again did anybody ask me what I wanted to do. That was my only golden opportunity. I still practice my moves every night while Kit and I are watching television. Anyway, I thought I, it's my biggest heartache except for not speaking Spanish, I mean French. Yeah, those are my two. Okay, that's it. Anyway, I read this article about this girl and she wanted to be a ballerina and she actually got to go to the school with the children's school. Absolutely amazing. The SAB and the New York City Ballet School of American Ballet Student for Children. Okay, I wanted to go to that school so badly. And I would see ballerinas in New York. They have a different posture. They have a different face, they have a different everything. They wear different clothes, they look so fabulous. And this girl wanted to be a ballerina and she had all the moves, but she didn't have the right body. Her body, I'm, I'm peasant stock. My hands are as big as like, I could probably fell a tree with my hands. She didn't have the right body. They kicked her out for that alone. It didn't matter that she was talented. It gives me, it gives me knowledge that I would have failed anyway. Had I been given a chance, I would have failed. It is so liberating to know that even if I did have all the talent in the world, which in my fantasy I do, I had the, the wrong skeletal frame. And I do, now that I think about it. This girl started at nine. She couldn't stop her body from becoming what her body was gonna become which was a big peasant stock girl. And she's much better looking. I mean, she's not even as big as I am. Her bones aren't as huge as mine. But you can see, even at 13, when she's got the stance and she looks great, she doesn't have the bird-like bones. She doesn't have that ethereal thing that ballerinas have, which is like Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn couldn't even make it as a ballerina. I mean, I, this is just such a relief. So that's the beginning. That was my first page of the Modern Life section. Absolutely loved it. Then I read The Modern Love, which is always great. And this time it was really great. It was about a girl and a guy, and they meet in college. And he's Swedish Lebanese, and she's from Singapore. And she's come over from Singapore, and her family life as a child was horrible. 
Her father abandoned them at nine and left the family bankrupted. The mother and she lived destitute life from that day forward. He never came back. The Swedish Lebanese guy lived in Switzerland, had a great life. Okay, he always wanted to have kids. They lived for, together for 12 years, and I'm telling you, this guy did everything for her. She's the one that had all these dreams and masters and doctorates, and he just follows her everywhere, and he wants a kid, and she doesn't. So finally, she kind of gives in and gets pregnant, and it's an ectopic, ectopic pregnancy. And nowadays, they give you medicine instead of taking the fallopian tube to see if it can right itself. And in the second dose, it did for her. But in that process, he said, I'm never going to ask you to do this again. I'm really sorry. Let's just live your life and go about all the dreams you've got. And she said, wait a minute. And she said that she learned through him that, and this is so codependent, but it's so beautiful. Like codependence is beautiful. She said, I thought that I had the recipe for enduring love. Ours had been staked on the mutual respect for the individual needs of each other. I had thought that doing something you didn't want to do to make someone else happy was the surest path to resentment. But now I understand what my husband had done for me all these years. He had put aside his own desires to support mine. That love changes what we think we want, expands the scope of desires beyond the realm of the individual. I just love that. And then she, she just looked at him and she said, the desire for more of him, more of us, going through the ectopic, ectopic pregnancy together was awful, but it confirmed what she was learning. And a year and a half later, they had a baby. That's a beautiful story. Because I do think love is codependent. I do think that's what everybody's missing in this new generation. It is looking in someone else's eyes and giving them what they want. And it makes you happy because you said you love them. That's just a great story. Okay, so then there was this one. And I usually hate the social cues. This guy, his name is Philip. Galance, he never does anything right for me, but this time he did. He's kind of the uh, Dear Abby of this section of the paper. And he said, this girl wrote in and she said, I've been married for 20 years. Some time ago I discovered that my husband had an extramarital affair early on in our marriage. The affair lasted several years. That's ugly. After the deception came to light, we decided to stay together and work on our marriage and counseling. My husband was very remorseful and I forgave him. We are trying to move on and we aren't doing badly. The problem is I know the woman he was involved with. I remained filled with anger at her and obsessed with confronting her. I'm pretty sure this isn't healthy for me, but I can't get past the hurt or the intense desire to make her suffer. Advice. He nails it. He says, I'm sorry for your anguish. And I agree, fixating on your former, your husband's former lover, lover is problematic, but it's because you are picking on the wrong individual. You're mad at your husband. And he says, because he's a man, he says this. He says, 
This woman never promised to be faithful to you, nor did she cheat on you. Your husband did all of those horrible things. But in the girl world, which I'm a member of, that was around years and years ago, you didn't fall in love with someone else's husband. You didn't do it. It was wrong. I mean, all these lovely stories about, you know, couples that get together, you know, like Angelina and Jennifer and Brad Pitt, and she has all these beautiful babies. It doesn't make it right. You don't steal someone's husband until she throws him back out into the pool of candidates. You're not allowed to touch him. So I do think she should be mad at him and her husband. And I don't think that women should cheat. I, I, I think we should be mad at women who steal other women's husbands. It's not a good thing, especially if you did it for three years and you know this woman. I mean, come on. This guy's giving her a get out of jail free card. I'm not buying it. They're both bad. So that's me. Okay, so here's one. This surprised me. Ireland is bursting with pride over a red carpet chat. Okay, what happened was this guy, I haven't even seen this movie. This Irish actor, actor was nominated for an Oscar for his performance in After Sun. I don't even know what that movie is, but I will see it. Anyway, he was approached by a Irish um, announcer and he spoke Irish with the announcer which Irish people are always afraid to do because they don't speak it beautifully or perfectly. They can't get, they can't relax because everybody in Ireland learns the language, but it's always a language you just learn like Spanish in high school. 41% of the population speaks Irish and they have some great words like, um, there was this, um, in secondary school, everyone learns the language, but they're always afraid that they're going to have a couple of folka. Culpa folka, which means a few words, like a couple of folka. Okay, folka is their word for words, but kapala is their word for few. Like a couple of hours, a couple of drinks. It's just, it's amazing how they, how they worm their way into our language, but... Okay, so what happened next was everybody was talking about this. Everybody loves this kid. He's 27. He's beautiful. So Brendan Gleeson is, is getting interviewed um, for his Banshees of Inner Sharin. Okay, that movie. And he speaks Irish to an Irish speaker who's talking to him. And the man tries to speak with Colin Farrell. And Colin Farrell speaks English back to him, which happens most of the time with Irish actors. And then at the end, Colin goes, "Shame on me! Shame on me! I should have speak. I should have spoke Irish. I see what you're doing." So everybody in their country is very excited this year. Ireland is having a green wave. It's absolutely going out of their minds because they're going Oscar Wilde. Ha ha ha! Get it? Like Oscar Wilde was Irish. So they said they're going Oscar Wilde now because the green wave means that there are so many movies, like 25% of the movies that are up for Oscars are Irish. They have one called The Quiet Girl, which is in their native language, which has everybody going insane 
with how wonderful it all is in Ireland and it's it is beautiful but I think they should embrace their commonality their combined languages like um, like all the people in America who speak Spanish they speak an American Spanish which is called Spanglish and they embrace it and they love it and I think the Irish should embrace their Irish English because they're always ending sentences or speaking back in English and Irish at the same time and they think it's an embarrassment and I think it's not and they should call it Irish-ish instead of Spanglish it's Irish-ish like Irish-English together Irish-ish you know what I mean? Ish-ish okay but they should do that because it's beautiful and it's funny because okay as the interview with um, Mr. Meskel went wound down. At the very end, he kind of blew it because they said, would you ever consider acting in an Irish language movie? And he goes, yeah, absolutely, in English. But that's Irish-ish. Sometimes the words are better in English. Sometimes they're better in Spanish. Pick the language that fits your emotion. I just don't think that's a problem. So then, I go to the obituaries, of course, because that's where the action is. And this guy named Robert Hebrace, he was 97. He was the last survivor of a 1944 Nazi massacre in France, in this, in this beautiful little town. He was, okay, all these people were shot to death. And I want to pronounce the name of the town because it's scary. Orador Surglan. Okay, I can't do it correctly, of course, because I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I don't, don't speak Spanish. I don't speak French, and I'm not a ballerina. And thank you for staying with me. So, um, the whole town was rounded up and killed. And people said, oh, it was because they were hiding gold there. They were hiding an SS troop guy there. But this man says, no, they were doing it because D-Day had happened and they were just retaliating. And he hid under bodies and he was the only one to survive in the town. He said it was a gratuitous crime. And he would walk the streets of the town and he could still hear the church bells and the anvil years and years later. Everyone, he said everyone wouldn't have been rounded up so peacefully if there had been a problem there. And everyone had to agree with that. And when there was a trial, he would go, he testified 30 years ago when Heinz Barth, a former SS officer, had been among the commanders of the massacre. And he was sentenced to life in prison, but he was released soon after because of his ill health. I hate when the French do this. And he lived happily at his home in his garden for 10 more years. What? That is, that is so not fair. And then there was another one who he actually went up against and that man went to jail and he got let out for ill health too. I mean, so what this, what Mr. Habers, what Robert decided was after all this, he was going to believe in redemption, in forgiveness, so we could all avoid reliving the sufferings of the past. Because you, you can't make two people suffer for 600 people anyway. 
There has to be some growth. There has to be some change. It doesn't resolve the matter, especially if they get out two years later to live the rest of their lives in their gardens. So it was all about redemption. And that's a lovely thing. So then Sal Piro died. This guy who was the super fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Shows, he died at 72. That is young in my book. So on a cold, snowy night in November 1977, he saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the very first time. He went on to become the head of the fan club for the rest of his life, and he saw the movie 1,300 times. Now, this is interesting. Before he became super fan, Mr. Pirro attended Seton Hall University from 1968 to 1972. The last two years of the university's Immaculate Conception, Cons Immaculate Conception Seminarian School of Theology, but he did not earn a degree. He taught theology and directed plays in a Roman Catholic high school in New Jersey for three years before being laid off. After that, he became a camp counselor, and then he saw Rocky Horror Picture Show the first time. He was stunned. It reminded him of Snow White and the Three Stooges that he saw as a little kid in the theater. And he remembered that just as Snow White was about to bite into the poisonous apple, a voice from the theater warned audibly, You'll be sorry. He wrote in Creatures of the Night, that's his book. Mr. Shaman, the future Tony Award winning composer, was his best friend, the lyricist for Hairspray. And they both started going to the community theater and saying you'll be sorry at all the productions. Now this movie failed incredibly at the theater. And what happened was, I mean, it, it made absolutely no money. So then it was brought back to one theater in the village and they were there every night, voicing in, getting the fans to show up. If it wasn't for this guy and his friend, Mr. Shaman, there would be no Rocky Horror. They were about ready to burn the movie down. So he said to his friend, who is now 89, we're getting so old, what's going to happen? Who's going to watch over Rocky? And Mr. Shaman said, don't worry about it. It's under control. So there will be future people to take care of this amazing franchise that people just love which absolutely I have to tell you the truth because I can never lie to you. I've never seen Rocky Horror Picture Movie. I don't know why. I just never did. And I should. Especially, I would love to see it in a theater where people were talking to it. But anyway, that's an omission. That's a, I'm ashamed, but it's true. Now in the, in the Wall Street Journal, because I get my Saturday on Sunday, there's a huge problem on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and it's a traffic circle, has one town and a twist. The town is Pinehurst, North Carolina, prettiest town in the country. It's where the US Open Golf Tournament is. And they are all upset and breaking down over a traffic circle, a roundabout. 50,000 cars a day motor around the big roundabout on the edge of Pinehurst a pleasant village shaded by tall palms, best known for hosting the U.S. Open Golf Championship. I'm so thrilled for the people of Pinehurst 
that this is their big problem. I wish all of us, all of us, could have a big problem like that. So, then, oh, I've got two other things in the last one. Okay, they're on the ground, but I don't care. Okay, one is, there's this MS Raw, which is this fine art antiques jeweler. Okay, this is back to the New York Times. Okay, a green light Colombian emerald ring is for sale. Okay, great. But I read about it, and it's got no oil, oil treatment in it. I'm like, oil treatment? When I got my emerald, nobody talked to me about oil treatments. Most diamonds, are their, their flaws are filled with, you won't believe this, it's so gross. It's filled with oil, just dumb old, just dumb old oil, like, like terrible oil, like crappy oil. I'm gonna find that word. It's just, it's just like palm oil. And these diamonds, okay, it's filled with cedar oil. How cheap is that? Okay, so the thing is, when you buy that emerald, they crack. And even washing your hands can ruin the emerald. I mean, emeralds dealers don't tell you this and the only emeralds that are any good are the Colombian emerald emeralds okay the emerald of emeralds the quintessential emeralds and there are none of them practically I'm like why are people so duplicitous and horrible that's awful because I have an emerald and it looks terrible now and now I know why just mean and rotten okay so but something amazing is happen happening because in the New York Times, arts and leisure and, you know, theater and all that, there were two plays. One is Tom Stoppard's play, Lyndon Schlaf, 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 whatever. It's about a village that he lived in. It's coming back to Broadway. And the other one is called Goodnight Oscar. And it's about Oscar LeVant. Well, he had a rough life, but he was so funny. And he ended up in a psych ward for a lot of things like depression, drug abuse, and um, compulsive obsessive disorder. Jack Parr got him out of the psych ward for one night, and he was on his TV show. And it tells the story of that night. And Jack Parr was so clever, and he was so clever, and Sean Hayes is in it, and the Tom Stoppard play is great. So I talked to Kit and we're going back to New York City. I really thought we never would again. It's kind of dangerous or whatever, but we're gonna, we used to go once a year, it plays once or twice a year. Plays are my hobby, like people ski or, or hike or whatever they do. This is what we do. And we're going back. He got tickets in May. I'm going back to New York City to the theater. I mean, just because I had a really nice life and I did stuff doesn't mean I have to stop. You know, it's, oh, you had a really good life. Sit down, shut up. No, no, rail, rail against the light. We're going back in, we're going back in. So I'm going to do my very first Broadway play review when I get back. I can't believe it. May is around the corner. I blink and two months go by. I can't believe it, it just happened. Just like 20 minutes ago, he got the tickets for the first play. Good night, Oscar.
not refundable. We're going May. It's like the middle of May. I am psyched out of my mind. Life is good. You have to have something to look forward to. Now I forgot that, but now, it, now it's back. I cannot wait. I can't wait to wake up tomorrow morning because it's one day sooner. Wow, I forgot. You're supposed to have things to look forward to. Sanity. It's a big part of it. So, wow. I did it. I'm doing it. We're doing it. We're going back to the big city, the big apple. Wow, we'll go to the Central Park. We'll go to our favorite restaurant. I will tell you everything about it. I'll wave at the museum because the steps are really hard to get up. It'll be marvelous, wonderful. I'll have everything, everything. So stay sane. If you want to do something, just do it. That's my, that's my thing today. Just do it, do it, do it. And I will be back. Thanks.